Martin and Bruce Almighty, God, a.k.a. Morgan Freeman, asks uh, Bruce to pray. In, in the midst of trouble, he says, Bruce, Bruce, pray. And Bruce says, God, bless the world and bring world peace. How is that? And Morgan Freeman says, well, it's fine if you want to be Miss America. And he says, Bruce, pray. Pray for what you really want. And he says one word, grace, which is not the concept. It's his girlfriend. I want things to go well for grace. You know, when you boil it all down, when you distill it, the things that weigh most in our heart, the things that matter the most are a handful, really a handful of relationships that we understand in our best moments that that's where life is found or lost. See, that's the rub, isn't it? The places of the greatest joy and the greatest beauty are also the places, quite often, for us of the greatest pain. I was um, in the coffee room at some point this week during the Christmas toy store. I can't remember which day it was, but anyway. I was in the coffee room and I was talking to a couple that I'd seen before, but had never really talked to at any length and they introduced themselves to me we talked for a while and one of the things they said to me is they said it must be odd for you to have people know things about you and you don't really know who they are and yet they have a sense that they know something about your life there's a lot of acquaintances that I have and and you all are lovely acquaintances but it's the truth there's a huge difference between an acquaintance and then that person or those people that are very close to your heart. By blood, by commitment, places of beauty or places of pain. This is an image that is seared in my mind from years past. And it was a long time ago and I was at an airport and I can't remember if Nan and I even had kids then. I think we did. I think we had one and maybe two. But we were at an airport and there was a, a, a woman and she had a, a little boy in her arms and she was moving toward the, the jetway. And as she did, the little boy turned himself around in her arms and screamed over his shoulder, Daddy! To the man who was about 20 feet away and couldn't do anything. It, it, obviously something had gone very sideways in that relationship. And that little boy screamed for his dad. And the dad could only wave goodbye. It's an image I'll probably never forget. It haunts me. It has that searing pain of an emotional loss that feels too, too great. If he had looked over his shoulder and said, Guy who I've seen speaking on the stage for the last three years. Nothing. You know? Doesn't doesn't really do anything. But there is, in some relationships, a beauty or a pain that can stop us in our tracks. There's a, a line from Spin Magazine in 2003 where it says about Chester Bennington, the lead singer of, of Lincoln Park, that he let out that, that lung-shredding rebel yell like a man having band-aids ripped off his very soul. Some of you today, I, I go into this talk obviously, honestly a little bit delicately because some of you today as you come up to Christmas 
you have a level of pain in a relationship that was given to you that, that, that at times is almost unbearable and it weighs you down right now. That there is one or, or two relationships that have broken your heart. And quite honestly, what you'd like to do, you'd like to just shelve it. Just, just ignore it. Just push it off to the side. If only this holiday would get past and I could forget about that relationship. Because quite honestly, shutting yourself off from it is far preferable to going through that pain again. Well, today, delicately, today, I'm going to walk into those relationships of the most intimacy for us. Because in the passage we're going to look at, God does. He chooses to weigh in to those central relationships and make a, a promise about them. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to look at the... Remember the beginning of this series? Y'all, uh-huh. At the beginning of this series, I, talk, I said I'm going to lay down a little theology for you. And I'm going to lay down a little biblical history for you. Very little. But we're going to read from the book of Malachi. Just one verse. And, and Malachi comes at the end of the Old Testament. See? Right there. Got clear pages and then New Testament. It's right at the end. It's the last word. Okay, Malachi comes, it's like 500 years before Jesus would be born. And Malachi comes on a string of prophets. We had, we had major prophets, we had minor prophets, we got a lot of prophets. And basically the prophets have been, have been talking about injustice and oppression. They're saying, your country is badly broken. And it's almost as if, as if you don't care. And God weighs in powerfully over and over again to, to people who don't seem to care about the least. And at the end of all of that, he's got one shot, one final thing to say. How am I going to wrap up hundreds of years of prophecy about injustice and oppression? And it says simply this, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Curious at best. Not the last word that I would have chosen. Not the big finish I would have gone, th- gone for. At the end of hundreds of years to speaking to a wayward group who had oppressed others. I'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Why? Well, there's, there's a few reasons why I think. The first, quite on the surface, is this. Those relationships, either by blood or commitment, those few relationships, when they go sideways, they break our heart. They cause a level of pain like nothing else can. And some of you know that all too well. And God at the end of this says, you know what? When your heart gets broken, I care. At the end of all of this, I want you to know that when your heart gets broken, I care. It breaks my heart too. And there's something that I would do about that. At one level, I think it's as simple as that. 
It's a moment, one of those intimate moments, you know, in the midst of this big story, which is all the Bible is, it's the big story of God waiting in humanity. In the midst of this big story, there are times when it's almost like, it's almost like he sits down with one of us and he says, Bill, I care when your heart's broken. This is one of those moments. For those of you whose critical relationships have gone sideways, God stops and takes the final shot at the end of the Old Testament and says, I know it breaks your heart. I'm aware. And I'm going to weigh into it. There's a couple of other reasons why I think this ends the Old Testament. And they're connected with the concept of of vision. You know, we talk at Warehouse a lot, a lot about the big picture. We talk about the vision. Our vision statement is the city rejoices. We talk a lot about big picture. And yet this passage connects big picture and small picture together. And, And this is how. It is very, very easy to live so big picture that you actually squander squander the relationships most important in your life. This happens over and over again. Where we are serving. We're serving the world. We're caring for other people. And yet, those closest to us get lost and somehow pushed to the side. Nina and I have an, an image of a story that happened to us years ago that sort of encapsulates it. And we were walking through a shopping um, why can't I think of the word? A parking lot. Thank you. We were walking through a parking lot. She didn't tell me, just my sharp mind suddenly got it. A parking lot. We were walking through a parking lot, and I was being chivalrous. I was opening the door for her. I was getting the door. And as I was, I was, I was getting the door, you were pregnant? Okay. Okay, just, this is going to make me look really bad. But you know me, you love me, let's move on. She was pregnant. And I was getting, so maybe I wasn't being that chivalrous if she was pregnant. I was getting the door. And I was getting the door for her. And then as I was doing that, someone came along the side. And I was like, well, so here comes somebody. I'm, I'm, I serve the world. I'm serving other people, right? So I, I moved the door out of the way to let the man walk by. You know, because I'm a sensitive, compassionate sort of person. I, I care about others in the world. And as I turn around, man is smashed against the car. Gently. No. <laughs> she smashes because I'm letting the guy go by. And, and for us, it's been an image of losing focus. I'm serving the world. And yet, somehow, those closest to me got smashed against the car. A, a second thing I think that comes out of the tie between big picture and, and small picture is this. I, I said, I think it was last week, that of the lowest billion in the world, every one of those lowest billion is an actual person with a real heart and real issues. Well, everyone, every person we serve in this community is an actual person. And if we lose sight of the fact that their heart breaks over the key relationships in their life that have fallen apart, we lose sight of the big picture. Last week, we um, turned our facility, and if you were here, it's, I mean, you're probably amazed at what's happened, how we got this whole thing set up. It was an amazing crew of people that reset this, but we had, oh, where are my stats? Oh, there. We did a Christmas toy store in here. 
And here, here are the statistics from it. There were 7,543 toys at a retail value of $110,411.50. And about $40,000 was brought in for scholarship funds. There was $110,000 worth of toys. Every one of them given. I mean, I was stunned by that. In hard economic times, you and six other churches gave $110,000 worth of toys. I mean, if we had, if, honestly, if we had said, Can, let's raise some money here to buy toys, $110,000, it's not happening. But it, with each one of you going out and, and buying a toy or two or three and bringing it here, $110,000 worth of toys. Why does that matter? On Friday morning, I came down here to do something and ended up staying for a couple hours and just running around and, and you know, people ask me things, do you work here? And I said, well, sure, sort of. You know, and then, you know, I was bagging up stuff for them and carrying them in, you know, showing them where things were. And p- people just kept coming up and thanking me. And this was the constant theme. They kept th- coming up and thanking us for, for the store. We had in the entire week only one, this is amazing, only one person with any negative response at all. And, and, and the, the person was kind of irritated because they couldn't come in the day they wanted to because we had limited space. We called her back the next day to invite her to come back and her first words were, I am really sorry for how I acted. I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, I appreciate what y'all are doing. Why? Why did that many people come in here and buy some toys and there was this amazing spirit of gratitude? Because in one way, hearts of fathers and mothers got restored to their children. And hearts of children will get restored to their parents. Because perhaps for the first time in their life, some parents were able to come and to buy toys that their kids really wanted. And they were able to take them home and wrap them. We offered gift wrapping. Almost nobody wanted it. They kept telling us, we want to go home and wrap the presents ourselves for our kids. And they wrapped the presents for their kids and they gave them to their kids and their kids will wake up on Christmas morning and they will be surprised. And dignity will be restored. Dignity that's gotten strafed like machine gun bullets through the years of their life will be restored a little bit. Their head will raise just a bit higher. Their children will look at them just a bit differently. Dignity will be restored because God's purpose is a restoration of souls. God's purpose is not, I say this all the time, is not to make you act a little better and a little nicer. God's purpose is not to have you walk some by your car and move the door out of the way. God's purpose is not to have you come to church. God's purpose is to restore your soul to its beauty, to its glory. And so at the end of this, you know, thousands of years of writing, At the end of this passage, God says, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to restore the relationships that matter most. 
the big picture is about individual people getting their hearts and their relationships back. We will not live well. We will not live well without some relationships, key relationships, restored and reconciled in our lives. Well, the big question is, of course, how is this going to happen? I mean, it's all fine to say this, but how is it going to happen? What is exactly is God going to do? Well, I do not intend in 30 minutes to clear up all your problems. We'll pray for world peace in just a minute. But there's a few things that I think are critically important as we move forward. Every one of us has written off some relationships. My purpose today is not to make you get those off back on the table. It's not. Some other day, some other time, perhaps. My purpose today is to ask the question of how in the relationships that we have not chucked, that matter deeply, how do we see them produce the power and the joy that they were intended to? I think there's three different ways that's going to happen. I take, if you look at our, our, our uh, Julie, back to, uh, screen, there you go. Thank you. Just pretend like, you know. Huh? Yeah. It says, he will turn the hearts. He will turn the hearts. God intends to be the power and the driver of turning our hearts and of producing reconciliation. What that does for me is this. And I'll tell you this. Don't give up. If it were simply in your resources and your power... I don't know, maybe give up. But it's not. God says, don't give up. I will. I intend to reconcile relationships. It is possible. Again, from that cinematic classic, Bruce Almighty. It's classic when Bruce prays for world peace. But what do you really want? I want it to go well for grace. What do you really want? Seriously. What do you really want? Beyond all the platitudes, beyond all the fluff, what do you really want? Beyond saying, well, if it went this, that would be good. No, no. what do you really want? What do you want in that handful of relationships that matter most? What do you want? Bring that to God. Not the short-circuited, well, maybe I can get this much. What you actually want at the deepest level. God provides us a resource that is staggering in its power, that we can pray to him and actually ask for what we want and he will move into our lives. A second thing that God provides is community. I'm going to... You don't have to do this. It's not like if I made you do it anyway. If, in our gallery, Jonathan Growl's exhibit, Villages, I encourage you to take a walk through there afterwards. 
Jonathan Grau's exhibit strikes me as always this, this plaintive view of the solitary man. And it, it strikes me every time of it. There, there's something that calls out and haunts my heart that we were not meant to be, live solitary. And one of the things that God provides us to bring reconciliation to our relationships is community. And there are relationships, there's relational damage, there's relational pain in your life that you have buried and nobody knows about because you, you, I, I just lock it away, that'll be better. <laughs> That's going to be better than actually dealing with it. But it'll never get better. And God calls you to engage in community. Maybe it's just one person. Maybe if you trust them, it's your small group. But unlock it. Unlock that place of pain and bring it to someone and some people who can walk alongside with you. If you don't, it will remain. The final thing that God does in order to turn our hearts is this. If you go through the Old Testament, what you will discover is God is writing metaphors throughout the whole thing. He's writing metaphors. There's one book, Hosea. Read it. Seriously. In the book of Hosea, God tells the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. He tells her to marry a whore. And, and he says to her, and she's, you know, then here's how, you, here's how we would write that story. Go marry a prostitute and she'll get better. And she'll stop, and everything will be great. He says, go marry a prostitute, and she'll continue. And I want you to stay married to her. Okay? Why? God is painting a picture throughout the Old Testament of people like you and me who have squandered the most precious relationship of all, and that's ours with him who have walked away. And even in this last verse, he will restore the hearts of fathers to their children. The metaphor is we're the children. He's the father. He is sending his son to restore us back to himself. That story of the prodigal son always strikes me. Of the son, it's actually the painting by Rembrandt, the son bowing before his father and the father's hands on his shoulder receiving him back in. That is the quintessential biblical picture of the whole of the Bible. The content is God is calling you back to himself. That is a relationship that is the most broken, the most in need of repair, and the place of the greatest joy for you. How does he turn our hearts back to relationships that matter? He turns our hearts back to him. We're going to, in a few moments, the, se- the second song we're going to do today is by a group called Flyleaf. And if you don't understand the background, it's going to sound like a song that should have been in the movie Twilight. If you do, it doesn't. And the, the song is the story of the lead singer who is at a point of severe desperation. She's suicidal. And, and she knows something, something about Jesus, but not a lot. And the song is the progression of the night when she, in despair, said, God, are you there? Are you there at all? Because I'm at my wit's end. And the progression of the song, you see here, experience the presence of God and come to a place where she understands that God loves her passionately, is calling her home, 
and is restoring the relationship of her with him. That's what he wants for you. This is going to sound incredibly trite, but somehow I feel like if I say it first, then it won't. This will sound incredibly trite. But right now, at Christmas, it is the time where we're supposed to feel this incredible joy. And for many people, it just feels like a nine-year-old at Christmas. I use nine instead of ten because I don't have any children nine. It feels like a nine-year-old at Christmas who comes and they've waited for all these presents and then they get it and they go, that's it? Even if they got everything they wanted, you understand. And it's not even that they're ungrateful. There's just a sinking sense that they had set up these presents as their little God and it just didn't fulfill. And for many, that's what Christmas feels like. That's it. And there's something more? There is. There is. There's God for you and with you and in you. Beginning to do a work within your soul of recreating, of restoring you to beauty and to wholeness. Let's pray. Lord, would you keep us from settling for too little and from skirting the issues, the real issues of our life? Would you keep us from shutting the door on relationships that matter, from giving up on parenting, on being a son to a father and a mother, on loving our brothers, of living well with our spouses, would you keep us from checking out and give us hope that because of you, restoration is possible? And in this time, in this second set, would you call us to yourself and help us to see where we are, what we need, and what you, what you have for us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.